Kiora, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Nico Franks. We hope you're safe and well, staying positive and testing negative. Today, we hear from Lenita Ririnoy, Content Commissioner at Māori Television in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and Rachel Anthony, CEO of Kiwi Prodco Greenstone TV, the producer of Border Patrol that is currently in the midst of a scripted push. Lenita and I discuss Māori Television's unique remit in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and why storytelling sovereignty is so important to Māori creatives, while Rachel and I talk about Greenstone's new local action thriller Vegas, which features an almost entirely Māori cast, as well as why the Kiwi government is right to offer such generous tax rebates to super-rich companies like Amazon. Lenita Ririnoy has had a long career in factual TV programming and is currently content commissioner at Māori Television. Aotearoa New Zealand's Indigenous Broadcaster, which provides a wide range of local and international programs for audiences across the country. During our conversation, Lenita and I discuss why Māori Television is willing to tell stories that other broadcasters aren't, and the crucial role it has played in revitalising the unique Māori culture and language since launching in 2004. We also talk about why many Māori stories need to be retold on screen, because historically they've been told by someone else, as well as the importance of ensuring storytelling sovereignty. Lenita began by telling me about Māori television's main priorities and the diversity within Aotearoa, New Zealand. Māori television is the Indigenous broadcaster for Aotearoa, New Zealand, and um, has quite a big focus on language and culture outcomes for Te Ao Māori as well as representing Te Ao Māori um, in Aotearoa and, I guess, advocating our stories in a wider sense for not just um, New Zealand audiences, but um, Indigenous global representation as well. It's a big task you've got because obviously there's diversity within diversity. So how do you approach representing all the different kinds of Māori perspectives? Yeah, the, the cool thing about um, Te Ao Māori is because it's it, it's so diverse. Within um, Te Ao Māori, there are different um, iwi or tribes and then hapu, which are sub-tribes, that are related to different regions around New Zealand. And every country will have this where you may be a country, but you have your different regions that you serve and the different stories from those regions that you have to reflect. So um, in terms of um, Te Ao Māori, that's an important scope that we look to representing at Māori Television. We're quite a multinational country. We've got a massive range in terms of um, other cultures in New Zealand. There's a big Pacifica contingent in New Zealand through the different connections. Um, there's a bigger um, Asian audience in New Zealand now. And then, you know, just naturally, there are also um, intercultural stories that have come through just in society. And so it's important to reflect that as well. There are both um, celebrations and challenges within being, say, like for myself, I'm Māori. I'm also from the Cook Islands. I also have links to Chinese heritage and I haven't even started on my Pākehā European ones yet. You know, so so if I'm just talking about myself, how am I reflected in the stories here in Aotearoa? And, and, and that mix is growing too. And I've been speaking to execs at broadcasters like TVNZ and Sky here, and they've all mentioned how important they see Maori storytelling um, in terms of their future and what they want to get on screen. 
how are you ensuring that you are continuing to kind of retain the best talent um, for your channel? I think the point that Māori Television is at at the moment, turning 17 now, it's really a reflection of what's happening in Aotearoa and still dealing with a COVID pandemic where um, previously you might have we, we might have lost some talent going overseas, but we're all stuck here now, which is kind of a good thing. Um, for Māori Television, it really is looking at um, who's here and development and who we can bring through. Because the, the thing about Māori Television, it's always been a place to try and um, bring in young ones to do stories that they identify with, particularly um, our youth that have been raised in the language, to, to work and to be introduced into the industry um, with the language that they're familiar with and that they've um, gone through um, kura with and then develop there and then, also, and then go out. There's been a massive shift in the last five years where people have come through Māori television and then they've left and created their own production companies and um, been able to meet the demand that has increased massively for language-driven content here in New Zealand. And um, the government messaging and COVID and, and other bigger institutions that really want to include that as part of their business now have meant that people that have come through Māori television with skills and content and language together are becoming massively valued. And saying that it does create a lot of pressure for Māori television, who hasn't had any more money, particularly in that space, to help do that. We just by default have done that. And so it does mean we have to um, look at the way we do content, the way we serve our audience. With less money than other broadcasters, we just have to be a lot more concentrated and specific about what we deliver. Māori television has always been a really hearty deliverer. So content that, that that connects you, that makes you feel good, that's really about community and a lot of um, events because that's really um, quite reflective of Māori as a people. We're never really that individualistic. It's always like um, where we're from, our, our family, it's all about our connections. So the last year's been um, a real challenge not being able to deliver that type of content. What Māori television does really well is cover covers events. And those are events of national significance. In terms of looking at different types of content for the next year from a commissioning point of view, it was interesting to see more people really, really wanting to engage um, the Māori perspective in these stories, um, documentary and factual series of things that always work on Māori television. And um, our audiences come to us because they feel like there'll be strong cultural base in, in genres like documentary and factual. And so we'll have some um, programs coming through later this year that will still to deliver to that um, and provide, I, I guess, um, a look at where things are now, providing more voice to even post-pandemic and I think that the scope to be more open about conversation around connection to Te Māori has increased. Whether it, it come with um, confronting um, issues in that, I think some of the, the content coming through will still be compelling. We've got a, a massive documentary coming later in the year. Land rights are massive um, in New Zealand for Māori, and that's just um, on the back end of the Treaty of Waitangi and the loss of land. 
and ownership through colonization and, and all those kinds of things. Ihumatao is probably one of the most recent conversations and issues about a, a piece of land um, out by the airport where there were challenges around what was happening with that land and um, the people of that land really, really went through um, different processes to get the land back. That is still in process, but it became quite a, a massive issue that, that is not a new one. It's one that has happened for a long time in terms of Māori and their rights and their connections to their land. Um, so when that started a little while back, um, uh, that went right through to the UN and it became part of a global um, conversation indigenously in line with what was happening at Mauna Kea in um, Hawaii and the pipeline conversation um, in, in North America. So in that aspect, in terms of timing, those types of content pieces that, that may be a bit much for other broadcasters to sit with, um, we advocated to have that project. It's something that reflects Māori television, um, the type of content that we would support because it really is, it's also how Māori television came about. Māori television came, came about, it was advocated for as part of the commitment with the Treaty of Waitangi of providing um, an avenue for Māori to have their voice and be able to broadcast um, Māori perspectives. Despite changes, despite intergeneration, the ongoing um, social issues um, and um, importance of, of historical and stories to be able to be shared so that they are still around for future generations because it is really about legacy can contribute to just more mindfulness really and um, and changing perspectives and changing attitudes I think because the other thing is people think Māori television is just for Māori it just isn't. And it's interesting there you mentioned an issue it's a domestic issue here but it has parallels elsewhere you know in other countries and you were mentioning us also about exporting and kind of growing the kind of global footprint of, of your content is it about finding those parallel stories happening in in other countries where you can kind of make links in that sense with with kind of producers or or channels who are looking to to work in similar areas i think by natural default the international indigenous community um connects and share uh, and that's just to really yeah because it is the similar situation of being um, the smaller entity um, dealing with the, the bigger end um, and, and just having to advocate a lot for the importance um, of our stories. So by default, it ends up being like that. And Money Television previously has been part of World Indigenous um, Broadcast Network um, conversations. Uh, some of our content is shared out in the Pacific. Um, and, you know, we acquire content um, from, you know, around the world through our acquisitions. So we get some really amazing documentaries and um, dramas and, and films where we can that complement the values of what Fakata Māori like to, like to be. I, I, I'd say that we are not the station that is about the jeopardy that in, in a format, if I can say that. I, I think... Um, we lean more to the end. It's because we're predominantly factual. The things that work for audiences on Māori television are things that are competitive with a, group, with a 
with a great outcome um, for excellence rather than the outcome to make people look bad. The other thing Māori Television does is a long burn. So the industry counts on numbers and audience and immediate immediate return. Māori Television content doesn't do that because um, in terms of society, society take need time to change perspective as well. So it, Māori TV can't be the one place that you come in and next minute, oh, this is great. It, it can't be there, and we know that. And so that becomes an interesting challenge in an industry where, where it's counted on, well, how many numbers have we got? I didn't get my return on, on eyeballs, so I don't know if I want to fund that again. What, what I can say is that um, Māori television, with the small amount of content that we have, we, we actually play them a lot um, because we know that as society grows with their openness and awareness um, to language and culture, we will get new audience at different times who will connect to that thing that we we had like five years ago, but it's actually new to them. And it just, in a linear space, you know, it, it feels weird. But if we didn't think about it in a linear space, which is which is where we, we are now, we're in a multi-platform space um, on a website. It just sits there ready. We, we pretty much make stuff for when the world's ready. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we'll make it, the world's not quite ready but it'll serve some, but at some point it'll be for different points of the world when they're ready. Also with the big growing demand for Māori stories, and we, you know, it's reflective um, with Māori film, the top 10 are predominantly Māori stories. May not have been made by Māori, but um, yeah, Māori stories are like the most in-demand stories because, because they're unique. They're not a, a copy of something with Māori people in it. They're literally Māori stories. So we already know that value's there. And so if we just take care of that end, we're happy for when it goes. And I suppose the ambition in future is ensuring that storytelling sovereignty so that the people telling those stories are Māori. You know, when I told you about that land story, <laughs> one of the biggest issues for Māori and their connection of land is the sovereignty of where they're from. Um, absolutely connects to... Um, the issue of story sovereignty and the stories we tell. We're currently in a, um, in, a, in, a, in a space where some stories are being retold and some actually need to be retold um, properly because they have been told historically by someone else and documented like that, not just um, in, you know, film and television, um, but, you know, even in print. You can read some, some, some print stories for kids um, from about 40 years ago, and you, it's, it's really unbelievable how those are written. It's very degrading. It's really not empowering for a young Māori person to feel like that they can achieve anything. You mentioned movies there, and one thing that always comes up uh, when I speak to people about Māori television is the, the, the films in the schedule and uh, the quality of the films. So how are those acquired? Is it kind of, do you have output deals? Is it always a case-by-case -case basis? How does that process work? We have a really great international acquisitions um, person, Deborah Brito, who has been part of Māori Television for quite a long time now. So she's really on with the type of um, international content that suits um, what Māori Television is about. And it's not just Indigenous stories. I mean, in, in the next wee while, we've, we, we managed to get Parasite for Māori Television. And that's, I mean, you, you know, that that's amazing. Also, Cousins, which is just out in the theatres now, 
um, which was a project a long time in the making. Māori writer Patricia Grace turned into a film by Māori producers, um, Ainsley Gardner, Briar um, Grace Smith, who also stars in the film. So the, the whole entire um, outfit of, of, say, cousins is massive, and Māori Television will be the broadcast partner once it's gone through its its feature circuit, its um, film circuit. So we support Māori film if it's about, um, if it's a Māori story, um, or, or if it's about um, supporting a Māori um, director or writer coming through. There are now, there's a few more even being made. Um, what's good about those is that now TVNZ are supporting things like that are being made like Fena, which is the story of Fena Cooper. And so it's not just Māori television that are looked at to support. Now it's become a lot more wider and with other broadcasters who, who want to support as well. And that's a good thing because we only have so much resource, you know, and money. What it's saying is that the demand for Māori stories are in- increased so much and it's great that it's more than what we can hold. So it's great that other, you know, broadcasters can support as well. Lanita Rirunoi. Rachel Anthony, CEO of Auckland-based Greenstone TV, has an extensive background in factual entertainment and documentary production in Aotearoa, New Zealand and internationally. More recently, Rachel's been getting stuck into scripted and Greenstone's action thriller Vegas, produced with Steambox Film Collective, a group of Maori screen professionals local to Rotorua, recently began airing on TVNZ Down Under. The show has sparked a debate about storytelling sovereignty, mainly due to the fact Greenstone is not a Māori-led prodco, but the show's co-creator, writer, showrunner and executive producer Michael Bennett, who is Māori, has hit back by emphasising the show's authenticity. I began my chat with Rachel by asking her about what the action thriller, which was produced with a budget of around 4.5 million US dollars last year, tells us about the ongoing development of Aotearoa New Zealand's scripted industry. Vegas is a super exciting project for us and it's also it's the most important thing for us about it is that it's a collaboration between three production partners. So ourselves, Greenstone, with Michael Bennett's 10,000 Company. Michael is the co-creator of the series um, and an extremely well-respected writer in Aotearoa who wrote all the series. Um, and we have partnered with a collective of Indigenous uh, screen content creators out of Rotorua. So the Steambox Collective, who are an amazing bunch of, um, of Māori storytellers and they came on board when we wanted to explore moving production to Rotorua um, and that's been a really fantastic collaboration. We're incredibly grateful for all of the, the work and talent that's gone into it. The story of Vegas is set, it's an almost mystical realism world. There is a gang story at the heart of it but really it's about leadership. It's about a young man who's thrust into leadership too soon and he is on a mission to rid his community from methamphetamine addiction is at the heart of it. So it, it's about leadership really and about family and what different styles of family and Fano look like. So yeah, it is ambitious, it's an action thriller and it's, it's a really fantastic vehicle to um, talk about some of the big themes within Aotearoa New Zealand about colonisation and intergenerational trauma and all of these things but really accessed through a narrative of stunts and 
car chases. So um, it certainly brings in a wide audience. It is for linear on TVNZ2 as well as TVNZ On Demand. We are hoping it will also find an international audience because those themes about family and hope and leadership are all things that are accessible anywhere. And I think there's that James Joyce quote about how in the, in the very specific you find the universal, and I think Vegas is an example of that. Um, but it's a really accessible primetime drama. Carl McNaughton um, and, and the rest of the team have done a fantastic, fantastic job of it. So no, I think it, I think it will, I really hope it will. Um, it, a significant portion of the um, script is in Te Reo Māori, but again, people are watching stuff with subtitles now, and I half the time think some of the world might need that for our accents as well. Um, we will turn on subtitles occasionally when the accents are particularly thick. So I think the SVOD platforms have certainly meant that people are watching more diverse, more international content that's not just coming from the main markets and that a project like this can absolutely resonate. So we, re we really hope it does. And it's set in a fictional town, but it was filmed in Rotorua uh, late last year. Was that an intentional uh, move to, to shift away from Auckland, where a lot of TV and film is made in, in this country? Yeah, look, there was a fantastic opportunity. It's set in a town called Wairoto, um, the home of the haunted owl. But um, there's a massive benefit of being in Aotearoa, including the Steambox Collective's contribution, obviously. Um, such an incredible bunch of creatives and everything that they bring with them in terms of the community. We were also incredibly clear that we wanted to bring new and young voices into this project and because of COVID in particular there was a real opportunity to support regional economic development and regional growth and because Rotorua is you know such a strongly Māori community um, there was a really fantastic opportunity to help grow the industry down there and the, and the aspirations and the kaupapa that Steambox has for Māori screen storytellers. So that was a big part of the decision. And also the landscapes down there are just extraordinary. It's, you know, if no one's been to Rotorua, there is steam rising from the streets. Um, the Maunga, the mountains, the lakes, it's just, it's a, it is a magical place. And for a series that has a, a style that is of magical realism, there's a real, it's quite extraordinary. So we were able to tap into a large number of rangatahi, young Māori, who hadn't ever worked on set before and worked with Film Bay of Plenty. Um, and the Steambox Collective brought on um, 20 young, young Māori who worked, they just flew, they were incredible. And that's such a fantastic thing to have that onset training. Um, they were in a program for about six weeks before the production began and then through production and just seeing that you know, capacity building and the way that people started to fall in love with the process of screen storytelling was really, really exciting. And, and those young people are now all working on other projects. And that's one of those big challenges we've all had during COVID with the amount of work happening in New Zealand is how do we build capacity? And we did that at scale on this project. I'm really proud of that. Traditionally, Greenstone is a more of a factual leaning production company. So in your scripted endeavours in future, uh, what, are, what are you thinking of? Well, we're currently one of the other, I guess, COVID um, projects that came for us is, is My Life is Murder Aotearoa. So we are currently in production for the New Zealand version of the Lucy Lawless-led drama series, which is also super exciting. So that's a New Zealand spin-off. Uh, we had the opportunity um, in the middle of last year when it was when Lucy was living here, back living at home, and we were pretty clear that 
there was an opportunity to do a New Zealand spin-off of that series. She was, you know, really the driving force behind that, so we licensed the, the rights um, to do a New Zealand version and have created, you know, a really fantastic um, local series of My Life is Murder with um, Lucy's character Alexa Crow being back in her hometown of Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, um, and fantastic cast and crew here, new stories set in this you know, this city. So, you know, that's been fantastically exciting. We delivered the Tender Trap at the end of last year, which is a, a tally feature that's currently sitting with DCD Rights, the fantastic TVNZ project, again, supported by New Zealand On Air. We're certainly moving more into that space, um, and that's really exciting for us. I think storytelling is storytelling. It's just whether you're factual experts or not, and it's been a really fantastic opportunity. We've been investing in drama for, you know, Greenstone's heavily invested in drama development for the last four or five years, and it just happened to be really that we had a bunch of stuff kind of poised as COVID happened, and we're really able to um, seize that opportunity. Um, in the case of, of Vegas, we were just ready to go at that time, and we were able to take it to Rotorua and do that and produce safely, and then with My Life is Murder, it really was a kind of COVID silver lining of something where we were able to go, actually, we, we can do this here. Let's make it happen. Um, there's a big push to take Kiwi stories around the world. There's a fund designed to bring in international co-production partners. How are you approaching bringing Kiwi stories around the world? Greenstone's been in business for about 22 years, and we are in the business of creating original New Zealand IP. Um, and so we have been, we've exported New Zealand stories to the world for a really long time and it's been we're most well known for those observational documentaries a lot of which UK audiences see but they're in about 30 or 40 countries so Border Patrol, Motorway Patrol, Dog Squad those series that are our perennial they're still really um, among New Zealand audiences favourite shows and they're made first and foremost for those Kiwi audiences but they work really well internationally and that's, those are the projects that have allowed us to invest in other development and to tell the other stories that we love to tell, um, including some you know, very hyper-local documentaries, for example, that might not sell as well or at all internationally. So we are very much, we've done this, we've sold, taken the New Zealand story to the world for a really long time and want to continue to do that. I think what the last year has shown is the willingness of the rest of the world to look at New Zealand as a destination um, to invest in, you know, and that's, you know, My Life is Murder, we've got fantastic partners through ACORN, through DCD Rights, Channel 10 in Australia, so that's a prime example, but we are continuing to do what we have always done, um, but also grateful that we have been safely able to produce in the last year, and we'll be able to continue to, to do so, one would hope, in the coming years and months. So for us, it's, it's more of what we've already been doing for a really long time. And you mentioned capacity earlier. So where is the New Zealand screen sector at at the moment in terms of reaching capacity? And what needs to be done to ensure that, that it doesn't and that it can keep bringing in productions? Look, I think getting the, the balance right between... Um, working on and servicing and working with international partners on international content and developing local IP that can travel with international partners and investment. We, it's an ecosystem, you know, so I think ensuring that there are both those things that can work together. There's, you know, the benefit of big international productions coming in and working with New Zealand cast and crew is you know, fantastic for capacity building, the opportunity for people to work on huge projects of scale and, and craft and work with 
people from all over the world who are at the top of their game is a fantastic thing. That's knowledge sharing and it, you know, it benefits everyone. Um, but so does working on your own stories and then being able to take those out to a global audience and to see international audiences connect with stuff that was nurtured here um, is also really exciting. So look, there's, you know, as we said, we had the project, the program that we ran, the Tohia program that we ran on Vegas with, you know, with bringing young people through and really, I think that was a, a wonderful chance to, at scale, put 20 people through, you know. Um, but there's a lot of other initiatives that are happening around the country. The Ministry for Social Development is working with people in the screen sector. There is certainly productions being encouraged if they're coming in, international productions taking advantage of the Screen Production Grant to also do attachments and internships and projects and um, work like that, as they should. So, you know, I think at the moment there's a lot of people learning a lot of great new things um, and we have a lot of very skilled storytellers. I would hate for the international market to think, oh, New Zealand's too busy. No. <laughs> Um, we are growing capacity and that's about the breadth and depth of the different projects too, the diversity of projects, people learn different things, whether it's for Vegas what we were learning was about stunts, we hadn't done a lot of stunt work before, that's you know now we've got more skilled people in that space and we as a production company understand a lot more about that too. So one of those service projects is a, a little Lord of the Rings project that's being filmed here, uh, probably the world's most expensive TV series ever made so far. There's been a, a debate in, in the local media here recently that New Zealand potentially shouldn't be giving or seem to be giving so much money to companies like Amazon. Do you think it's worth it? One of the overwhelming pieces of feedback that came from that strategic plan which was presented to government at the end of last year, again, a bit of COVID in the way, is the, the absolute net benefit of the screen production grants and how valuable they are, particularly for building local IP, which is also something that's an, an, you know, a huge pillar of that strategy, is that we need to be growing and nurturing more local stories. Um, so I believe that the Screen Production Grant is an, you know, an incredibly important part of a number of levers and tools that we have in order to build a sustainable sector. Yes, Amazon's a massive company, but this is all new money. The way that, you know, when people frame a screen production grant or any of the screen incentives any of the, anywhere in the world as, as a grant, actually, it's, it makes it sound like it's a subsidy when it's a rebate on new money. It's new export earnings. It's investment into New Zealand that wouldn't otherwise happen. And then some of that money gets handed back. You know, it's, if someone comes to a dinner party and brings a dozen bottles of wine with them and you drink a couple, and you take the, the person who bought them takes a couple home with them at the end of the night, but you're still up, you know, eight bottles of wine. I'm all right with that. We are competing in a global marketplace for screen, and when we look at the other countries around the world that also have screen incentives, we have a lot of other reasons for people to come here. It's not just the incentives; it is the quality of our crew, it is the quality of our landscapes, um, it is the ex the experience that we have working on, in, on incredible screen projects, but we can't you know, kid ourselves that, with, that people would still want to come here without incentives when so many other screen sectors in the world offer them. Are New Zealand producers mobilising in any sense around putting pressure on those US players to commission more local stories here? Look, I think there is definitely a sense amongst the production community that we would like to see the international platforms that have a really big presence in viewers' lives here um, also be commissioning local content. 
you know, Netflix is, has an office in Australia, but it doesn't have a presence in New Zealand, for example. But ultimately, that still comes down to relationships and great stories. Um, we don't have quota in New Zealand for local content. So I think it is about building you know, stronger and better relationships with as many platforms as we can to ensure that there's actually an appeal to have that and that stories that will travel and work for their platforms. So, you know, yes, I think there should be as many incentives as possible to encourage people to work with local producers and local talent. Um, but I think it still comes down to building relationships. Rachel Anthony. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. But in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and on social media. Thanks for listening.